0: Um, so what today you want to talk about we want to talk about the ADI model and kind of how how we how we use it and some of the challenges and difficulties in terms of implementing this model when um, uh, kind of customer the people that we're working with potentially just want to go through and um, I and I,
1: I was just gonna take the A and the D off and the DIE model. The DIE model. It Although does, it does, does the e- it? evaluation, does the evaluation work? I mean it's still called the DIE model if you take the E off as well. Um but just to, yeah, obviously just to clarify, the ADDI model is analyze, uh, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. Um and it's a design process, which uh, a lot of designers in e-learning use. So you might have heard of other ones, but um, ADDIE is still very, very popular um, for designers and developers, uh, not necessarily with the people that we're working with. Um, and I guess I don't really have any answers on this, but I was curious uh, both about your experiences. Obviously, I know a little bit about them, but... Um, also around what you think we can do to, well, whether you think it's the right approach and if it is or isn't, if it isn't, what do you think we should do instead? And if it is, how do we kind of um, encourage people to go along with the process? Uh, Yeah.
2: I mean, I personally use Adi model and been using Adi Model for a long period of time. And I can see the Nathan is laughing at me because when I first joined at the University of Birmingham, I think it was my nickname for some time. I don't know whether it's still in use, but um, I was called Adi Model because I was talking about this quite a lot. And I think um, in order for us as the learning designers, in order for us to actually use Adi Model effectively with stakeholders and with uh, subject matter experts is to educate them and it's actually to um, set the expectation and explain the model itself, what it is and how we're going to actually follow it. The problem is that it's sometimes, you don't, you disagree, That's 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 okay, but I think that sometimes we are actually, you know, we don't... Spend enough time on actually talking about the process itself and how the next, I don't know, 10 or 11 or 12 months are gonna look like. uh, Yeah, so the process and design and development is gonna look like. And I think we don't set those boundaries and expectations at the beginning. So, experience between
0: working at a kind of a university, maybe working somewhere else, maybe slightly different. Um, but we know okay okay but we know that we have to deliver a a product by a certain date everyone else knows that an academic knows that therefore they'll just produce it for that date. there is nothing holding them to a timeline so as much as we can educate someone they're not tied to it I feel like it needs to be more part of the kind of an organizational strategy it needs to be part of the module approval or program approval it needs to be okay you have to do this you have to do it this way kind of like how some other people work that are getting paid um to produce programs which is okay we need it by then or it just doesn't happen we don't have that luxury so someone could come to me and say i'm gonna do this kind of uh, this module which should really take six to 12 months leading and I'm gonna do it in one month because I'm doing research, don't have time, don't have time to do all that. And what's my comeback? I don't have a comeback to that.
1: Um, I mean, yes, there's room for I, both, isn't there? So I, I feel like you're talking carrot and stick. So Carol was more kind of like, you know, obviously uh, persuasion um, and, and kind of outlining the reasons and the benefits, whereas uh, I guess, Nathan, you're talking more about the the policies and procedures. Uh, and and kind of enforcing it. Um, See, I I think there's also a divide between people perhaps who've delivered a course, you know, maybe 15 years or so versus someone who's developing a brand new course. And maybe for the people who've run a course, uh, maybe a face-to-face program or module uh, for so many years, in their head, it's clear what the design is. And so maybe they don't see the rationale between, you know, sitting down and designing it because they know um, I guess what we need to get across to them is, is, you know, it's fine. It's fair enough that you know, but we need to know what what you're thinking and planning so that we can design this in an effective way. You know, what's the split between the weeks here? Are you, what you deliver face to face, do you have enough time to deliver that online? Are you, are you thinking about how uh, the learners will interact with this? Do we have enough time to develop what you're thinking in the amount of time that we have? Um, and, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know uh, how you guys feel, but I know that when I've worked on projects in a university setting, sometimes the academics are just wanting to upload their resources just straight into a platform and they've, there's no thought or consideration as to how the learning will take place because they've had these same materials for years and years and they do the kind of teaching without thinking about it. It's almost natural to them. And yeah, I think
0: I, I think you're up. A... Oh, sorry Carl, just just to jump in, I just for a a recent story. Um, so yeah, I was talk I was talking to someone about okay, they've got to deliver they've got to deliver a three day workshop. Um, they've got to do it kind of remotely and kind of face to face. Um and I was saying to them, okay, I need an agenda. I need it all broken down. I want, I kind of want exactly what you want people to do because I need to figure out, okay, what is the best technology and how are the students gonna engage with this material? Um, and like you say, Remy, it, it is in their head. They know, they know all this stuff and you know they know it, but it, it doesn't, I can't see into their head. And when it comes to the students, when it comes to the students learning, they also want just a breakdown of okay what am I going to do and the three-day workshop is happening at the moment and I still haven't seen an agenda and I'm like that that breakdown kind of needs to happen for for everything for kind of campus modules for distance modules just so everyone's clear so you do it for a a one-day workshop and you'd write down okay from nine to half nine we're going to do an introduction and it's going to be a video or it's going to be face-to-face whatever um, and these are the outcomes that i'd quite like to get from that kind of like a session plan but then we don't really take that into a module and then use that same plan it's just i don't know it's the last it's the last thing that people come to whereas i feel like that's the first thing that we should be looking at uh, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to achieve? Um, and when you were talking about kind of Addy, I I brought up UCL's ABC um, curriculum development because I guess that's that's like that's that's the A kind of we're starting at the kind of analysis of okay kind of let's all sit down as a program team, let's all kind of decide. Who our students are. I did a workshop recently, and one of the poll questions was, kind of, do you know who your students are? Mm. And what was it? Eighty-five percent of the fifty people that were there said, said no. And you're like, if you don't know your students, then how are you meant to, kind of, really know how how they're going to learn and how they're going to interact with those materials? And I kind of feel like, and there's not that much consideration given to the consumer. It's all yeah. it's all about me as a creator
2: and what I want to provide. And I th- I agree with you. And I but I would like to come back to the point that Ruby mentioned about uh, those kind of lecturers who've been teaching something for like fifteen years and you know things haven't changed and then um, they know all of the materials. Uh, really well, and they don 't even need to like really get ready f- before the lectures or or anything like that because they know it but I think what is really interesting implication of the global pandemic is the fact that uh, this model is not sustainable over time, and I think is what a lot of universities across the world have um kind of discovered is actually in order to create that resilient education we need to have a group of experts teaching on module rather than a single expert and sometimes you can see that and this is you know um, I don't know whether you have similar experience or not but sometimes you can see that someone who's got like 15 years of experience and you know teaching quite um, extensively on a subject And all of those notes, all of those course informations, all of those information that they have don't make sense to other fellow lecturers. And I think just passing those lecture materials year by year and using, utilizing it, you kind of imposing kind of trap and you are falling into the trap that you actually don't check the current evidence, the current research, Um, you don't include any of the new released information on that subject, so if you are actually open it up on that analysis and getting know your getting know your students and sharing the information with your um, team and other stakeholders, the, the, the content that you have, it
1: can be much richer. So I think uh, perhaps we're in a bit of an echo chamber here in terms of we all agree the analysis and design is important. And, and definitely, uh, Carol, I, like, I, I agree with you that it's still important. I think uh, the point I was trying to raise is these are some of the perceptions that the academic or, you know, SME might have. And how do we then challenge them in a kind of constructive way so as so not to criticise their approach, but just to... Kind of impress upon them the importance that we also understand those materials so that we can effectively plan them. Um, I mean sometimes I think we're just seen as the people who get the content up onto the platform rather than people who will help them design or redesign their course in a way that's appropriate for online learning Uh, and maybe we're, we're sort of like, we're jumping ahead a few steps when we take them straight to the spreadsheet and we need to kind of explain what our role is before we even get into, and this is why we're designing like this. Yeah,
0: no, yes. and that's why, yes. that, sorry, Carol, that's why I kind of I talk about the kind of the ABC, which is we need, we need to be within that development process we need to be talking about okay this is who we are and this is how this is how we're going to work and these are the models that we're going to use kind of throughout this process and when when i say this i'm talking about module sign off or program sign off at least two years ahead of kind of when it's going live so then you've got time to think about it whereas what i think. what we're talking about Remy is we'll go to them six to nine months before and say, okay, this is a spreadsheet. This is the date. This is when we've got to kind of be ready for, because I guess we feel like, okay, a lot of the other stuff's already been ironed out before we've got to this point. Whereas as I mean, as Carol was mentioning, kind of we need more robust module teams and i was in a in a session um the other day talking about how we how we can better use discussions or kind of how we can better implement kind of embed activities and i was talking about kind of less of an individual module and more of a program and introducing people in year 1 kind of getting them used to the technology then in year 2 actually using it in year 3 exploring and kind of going and doing different things with that technology. But you can't do that in 11 weeks. You can't do that through through one module. There just isn't enough time to get students from no knowledge to enough knowledge to able to contribute to a lot of these activities. Um, And I kind of feel like we need to take a step back and look at programmes and look at kind of how we develop, a programme, and then how we develop the modules inside that programme.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting approach. I think that might jar against some of the uh, ambitions of some universities to then pick and choose modules from different programmes in terms of how do you coordinate that, which modules are responsible for kind of upskilling the students in which areas so that by the end of whichever programme they decide to build, like they've reached their sort of required skills yeah Um, i've seen modules i mean
0: for example you could have a year year one module on terrorism and then you'll have a year two module on security and terrorism then you have a year three module on terrorism and security and because because we're taking that approach they're all kind of doing the same thing And if I was to take all those thinking, I'm going to have such a good experience, I'm going to have so much knowledge. And then you come out and you're like, actually, I've just got one module's worth of knowledge because they haven't built on each other. They've just been an individual's experience, an individual's knowledge, rather than kind of some kind of um, program of knowledge. I don't know. And the silence begins.
1: Radio
2: silence. (laughs) I'm trying to process what you've just said and I'm not sure whether I get it
1: 100%. I I, I felt the same. I I was kind of I was still kind of mulling over how that might work.
2: How
0: what might work? Yeah and that's it and I don't know I mean we don't have the answers but we have we are moving to more of a flexible approach. To picking and choosing the stuff that you do. But there needs to be some joined up, joined upness in terms of whether that is by program or whether that is by subject area. Because you know, if I look to the analytics, I could see what every student, what module every student's taken and what module students are likely to take in in conjunction to each other. So I can use that data to be able to inform me in terms of what are the, what are the trends, what are the common
1: trends? Well, in the interest of sort of uh, making it easier for the module designers and SMEs, um, could you not have... The, the sorts of skills that you need to develop in students. It's sort of like in year one across all of the modules Everyone's trying to develop these skills in year two modules These are the sorts of skills we're trying to develop the same way as you do with the course, right? You know, you're just catching everyone up in year one. It's kind of like doesn't count for anything in terms of credits um, But it's kind of getting everybody up to the same level in terms of their understanding of the the, the core material of the subject
0: Now, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. But then, um, I, but then, one of the about? one of the things was though. Um, but then, you're taking my creativity away, as as a as a as an academic, as a creator. You're taking my freedom away to be able to explore stuff because now I have to adhere to this this framework.
1: Ah, uh, no, but we're saying uh, it's a good idea to include this. It's best practice to include this. You're now free to think of lots of different ways of making sure you do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's, that's what that's the come that's what the comeback usually is because academia is very much uh, individualistic it's very much uh, i say in my own space i do my own thing do my own research and i do my own teaching and we need to try i mean and COVID's taught us a lot about kind of how we work as a team or how we work together and some of the frustrations and some of the difficulties that kind of Working on kind of program kind of creation and potentially not being an expert because if I've noticed, if there's a group of four academics and you've got one expert on a specific subject and then that person isn't necessarily teaching Then they'll have to produce that material in a way that anyone Can teach that material at which point do we need that person? once they've produced the material
1: see this is one of the big elephants in the room i'm sure with a lot of um teaching and academic staff not just in universities but definitely i i I sensed it in further education as well the worry that if they create a brilliant course online that almost you know well, it, it's never self-facilitating. You still need a facilitator. But one, you're de-skilling, de-skilling them by making them a facilitator rather than an educator. But secondly, if they make it so good that they're no longer needed, they're doing themselves out of a job, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I think there's always room. And, and I've said before, like rather than um, removing that member of staff what we should, or, or kind of reducing the number of staff, what we should be looking at is, A, increasing capacity, so then that staff member is able to facilitate more students across uh, across the world. Because um, if we don't do that early, other companies and, and universities will get in there and, and kind of swallow up our intake. Um, and the other thing is around if there is face-to-face time, using that time more constructively. I mean, why is a student coming in to watch someone talk at them for two or three hours? How is that an effective use of time? Um, and it's, it's sort of like the, the thing that we get with um, Panopto as well, isn't it? Especially when one university started showing Panopto recordings when the lecturers were on strike, which to me sounded dreadful, you know, uh, that the university would do that. But um, if that's all the lecture time is used for, perhaps we shouldn't be using the time for that. We should be using it for, you know, group discussion, group work, whatever it is. But actually, what's the purpose of being face to face if that stuff can be delivered online?
2: Yeah, that's, I think this is a really good question. And I think this is the question that is being, um, you know, that, that question is being um, faced and attempted to, to be answered by a lot of the higher education institutions across the, the, across the world. And I think, I think there is no single answer. I think there are, you know I think that there are still a lot of people who actually benefit from being in the campus, and it is very I think with the infrastructure that we have now, it is very difficult for students to um, create those social networks within um, just purely online environment and without physically being in the campus. So I think this is one of the reasons why so many different institutions really try to push return to campus. I don't know whether this is like right or wrong uh, approach. I don't think this is very safe approach at the moment.
1: So in In um, in the second podcast, in the second podcast where we discussed the, um, I forget the name of the paper, um, but we discussed bringing in emotional and social engagement into online learning. Uh, And I feel like that's the bit that's been least researched and least worked on. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying this is the entire reason why we're not effectively covering those materials or those subject matters online but I think part of it is that it's been ignored for so long and so little work's been done in it and there is more that can be done. I think uh, COVID-19 has been a a wonderful example of like people being inventive about bringing Mm. communities online uh, and it's no way replaced it yet but it's definitely in its infancy uh and and might be a contributor to why why the, the the area is lacking but yeah i still think social face-to-face is like where where that lecture time should be used you know more seminars fewer lectures um, I Agree. and then just taking it back to addy uh like i mean again you know if if lots of the material is kind of didactic material Um, We need to know that in the planning stage, right? So that Mm -hmm. we can start to think about how that fits into the overall picture. If you've just got, uh, and if you have like, you know, 11 weeks of three hours of lectures um, and you're just talking at the students the whole time, you need the learning designer to help you decide how how to make that material more appealing. So it's not Mm -hmm. just a passive process because essentially if that is what your course is and that's what you want your online course to be, you can never check engagement because literally the student can hit play or autoplay now uh, and go through all of the lectures and it looks like they have engaged when really they haven't and so you need to build in those kind of mm. um active learning opportunities um which absolutely. perhaps in a lesson you can pick up on in a, in a face-to-face session yeah. you can pick up on a bit more easily
2: absolutely i think i hundred percent agree with you and i think um i th- just coming back to the, to the point that you made uh, i think that, that the theory that you were uh, referring to is the co- called Community of inquiry. Uh And I feel uh, this is uh, the, the theory that we were talking about during our second podcast. And I think what is really interesting is um, the point that Nathan has made and the point that I have made. And I think in order to achieve um, the full blown instructional design process in which you have uh, time for proper analysis, design, and development requires universities or, or higher education institutions um, to have that embedded within their pol- at the policy level. So there is um, uh, strategic or kind of the um, body within the organizations that embeds. The uh, instructional design principles during the module planning. So when the module is approved by university or the program is approved by the university, there is clear uh, timeline in which w- which explains. Okay, so the academic need to really provide this content as you know as it is done in organization like Coursera and FutureLearn. I think this this element. Um, As Nathan was saying, it's missing at the university at the moment. So I think in our job as the instructional designers, because very often we receive the content too late, we really can't dive deep um, into those models like community of inquiry and actually make use of it to the full extent.
1: Okay, so speaking practically, because we all know what what happens in... Many, many cases, I would say the majority of cases is someone just comes, you know, uh, maybe a short time before the module supposed to go live and goes, here's my content. Can you put it in the platform? Uh, do you think there are ways to retroactively then do the analysis and design? So like I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of, okay, you know what the learning outcomes are and you know what the assessment is, but literally sitting down with the academic with each of the resources and going, okay, which of the learning outcomes does this address? and then saying, which week do you want it in? And then sort of starting to build up, say a course outline, for example, from that material where you then start to, or we as learning designers, instructional designers, then build up a picture of which resources do meet the learning outcomes and which ones don't meet the learning outcomes. And therefore, you know, extra content or irrelevant content and not worth the time. Um, And and then sort of uh, kind of, Talking to the academics about how we can break this up, following that, so accepting that they're just going to come with their content, but then following that process of the the design.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, this is the process that I have been involved in so many times because someone you know gave me the content, for that, that the instructional design job is only about the copying and the pasting and can you populate the platform, and actually you know, me being kind of passionate about my job. I said, look, okay, but this content actually would do with a little bit of tweaking. So can we have a look on your uh, learning objectives? And of course it it depends on, because at the moment, as as Nathan was explaining, we don't have that power the policy power that enables us to go back to the academic and say, you know, that's, can we have a look into that? Can we have a look on your learning objectives and how this is aligned to our assignment and formative assignments and whatever. So I've been into that process, but that process was kind of effect of my initiative that I really wanted to do it for the benefit of students and for the benefit of that module. So I think this is, you know, this is not ideal situation and, but it is feasible, you know, it is, it is possible to use models like Gadi model in those um, kind of retrospective scenarios. Okay. So just, just,
0: I guess, a roundup and actually just to end up maybe on a positive. Um, I was going to ask Okay, what, what one thing are you currently kind of in terms of the added model, what, is there anything that you are currently working on, um, to embed that added model, um, more widely because we've talked about a lot about the issues. Um, but is anyone is, are any of us kind of trying to change that uh, got any good ideas um to share in terms of kind of what we're doing
1: so i i work with obviously i work with um both academic partners and industry partners who don't necessarily have an academic background and then i'm working with people who've already got a course running or running a new course i think the first thing like that, I'm starting to do with my effectively new colleagues is understand who does fill in the outlines and who doesn't, and why they fill it in and why they don't. Trying to find some best practice, so we're building like a, a kind of library of best practice um, that uh, we can say, well, here's a good outline, here's an example of a you know a good discussion, a good video, blah blah blah, um, and. I mean, that's, that's not going to hit everybody there. Um, but also some of the selling points of why that design process is important. Um, but I think included in that is what we were just talking about is that flexibility of like, you know, when, you know, someone's adamant that they're going to go through it in the process that they're going to go through it. What do we do to adapt to them? Um, so if it is design analyze design, develop well that makes it the daddy model, doesn't it?
0: Oh, no, Remy's laughing on his own because we're muted. <laughs> it's like it wasn't the funny joke. <laughs> you are funny. Mother, I like that. <laughs> I do like that, Remy. Yeah, I do. I think there needs to be flexibility. I mean, one thing that, I mean, put, I've kind of tried to put together plans and processes and all sorts. Um, I'm, I'm trying to kind of embed that into the module approval. So we can have those conversations straight away. We can talk about, okay, this is who we are. We know who you are, but there's lots of other people involved as well, whether that are librarians, your administrators, um, and any any other experts. There's lots of people involved in this, even if you feel like you're on your own. Um, So we have to bring all those people together. And even if all those people don't need to know, everything it's really good for just covering any any kind of gaps in knowledge um, as you move forward and just introduce people to it introduce people to the method introduce people to the way we work um, and start it really early because I feel the more we could do that the more we can have these conversations the more people will come away and think okay I know who they are I know I know how they work I know their approach, and I don't necessarily have an approach. So I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow that. And if an institution actually takes an approach like UCL, and I'll go do their ABC model, um, then it's maybe a lot easier to push a a way of working if the if your institution is
1: is kind of um, branding one. Um it's like it sounds like we might be wrapping up here, but I just wanted to throw one more idea in and it kind of touches on what Carol was saying earlier about um about getting other people involved. Um and this, I mean, I don't think this will happen for a long, long time, but these designing good online courses takes time, takes effort. And, and I just wonder though, I mean, how many universities deliver a course that's on Um, you know, international politics, how many deliver a course that's on maths or physics. But what we've got is all universities working in silos, given that this takes so much time and effort. And uh, like I said, I don't think we're anywhere near this happening for a long, long time because of the way that universities work. But why aren't we getting a a sort of cross university or cross, including industry partners as well, actually, for, for some of the courses, Um, but a collaboration so that it's not one person having to write all of this course content that they're panicking about. And going back to, again, the development stage, why I think a lot of them want to get on with the development is because it just takes so long to write the course content. But if you've got several voices and then you've got, you know, someone who's got oversight of it at each stage. So you've got maybe someone who project manages the course writing, someone who project manages the design process, someone who project manages overall, you know, um, I, I just feel like, why is one person having to write all of these courses when you might have the same or very, very similar courses, not only in the country, but across the world?
2: I 100% agree with you. And I think this is the future of education. Well, I I would hope this is the future of education, but I think it's got to be on the very high on the political agenda now. Because if you think about like, you know, simply the think about it the very distant future, unfortunately. But if you think about like, the technological advancements and the real implication of our labor market and how people are you know, changing um, their careers over life lifetime, we can see the evidence that you know, 100 years ago, once you, once you qualified, you stayed in that job for, forever now you change your career, sometimes radically over, you know, two, three times over your life, during your lifetime. And with the rapid advancements of the technology, that that rate will only increase. So I think the commitment for like lifelong lifelong learning, it is going to be paramount in the future and it's gonna be essential. Um, And I think what you are saying that, you know, just uh, collaborating with, um, industry partners and higher educations across countries is is the way forward to meet that goal. I do. As I mean, I, the way as Nathan said it's not going to happen anytime soon, but I, I, that would be ideal situation. I, mean, I
0: guess it, it it kind of happens. For example, I am referencing someone else's paper or someone else's work within my. Like course. So I'm, I'm using other people, but I'm not actually engaging with that other person and bringing them in to collaborate. So you've got lots of people using each other's kind of work in order to produce this, but yeah, not working together on it.
1: Well, I was going to say in a weird and limited way, it does happen across universities in research because what's the peer yeah. review? It's effectively a peer QA Absolutely. process, right? Um, I, and everyone publicly publishes their their um, research, and it goes out there, and other like minded people will come in with their their views. Um, so it's really weird that we wouldn't peer review our our education, given that that's you know for a lot of universities in the UK now is the majority of their funding. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you
2: know, the, the peer review and working and uh, using someone's research—it's—it's it's the vital component of our, of our job. However, there is, for one course, you are citing plenty of different resources. And, you know, even, even though that something has been peer reviewed, and it has been published in prestigious journal, it doesn't mean that the quality of that work is there, because there were cases that, you know, it, it went through the peer reviewing process and it has been published in a prestigious journal and it, it it wasn't that high quality research paper in the end of the day so but, it, but it's going to be more high quality then yes if
0: it wasn't reviewed, and I think that's, that's yes absolutely. that's the point isn't it? Absolutely. because we're not, we're not expecting we're not expecting all of it it's going to be kind of four star um, absolutely we're actually About just that. expecting people to have kind of I don't know a responsibility to to their students, so people 100%. are taking this stuff because otherwise yeah if if they did put it in a in a foreign journal or a foreign university, yeah you can uh, whatever quality you want carry on no one cares but if you're actually going to kind of put it promote this and produce it at a prestigious university or, or institution, then there needs to be some some checks
1: yeah.
2: And, Absolutely.
1: And,
0: and the and thing is,
2: is th- sorry. one of the things that I was going to say is that, that enhancing that collaboration and working a, with a huge, you know, a greater number of people that would have a direct implication on the quality of materials that are being used. And you would be even you know using the cited papers and things like that, that they might not be of the highest quality if you're working in the as the individual you wouldn't be able to pick this up, or you would have less, you know fewer chances to pick up something that is can be faulty to certain you know, to a certain extent and working in isolation than working in the collaboration, I think the collaboration would only enhance the quality of the learning and teaching materials
1: so maybe there's a, there's a kind of halfway house there then instead of um, necessarily um them collaborating, because that might be a step too far too quickly, uh, just even posting like, uh, kind of academically rigorous, uh, resources up so, uh, so that people can just pick and choose the bits that appeal to them. Because we know there's an appetite for academics to use other people's content. They use YouTube videos and TED talks. Uh, they're obviously using papers and other people's textbooks in their courses, but, um, The academic then has the freedom to decide, yes, I like this content from, you know, whatever university and I'm going to use it in my course on this subject. Um, But there's a kind of acceptance that like, yeah, this is that person's work. I mean, everyone can see whose work it is because it will be that academic posting it. Um, But that, that might work as a kind of halfway house, so long as people were all willing to add their bit on certain topics.
0: I guess that's a a nice place to, to end unless anyone else has anything. I feel like we didn't, we raised a lot of questions and I mean, i you got some really good ideas in terms of kind of how you, how you kind of want trying to implement some of these better, um, working methods, um, and how you raise your profile as well. Um, so, yeah yeah let's let's leave it there unless anyone else has anything no well thank you thank you for joining us thank you carol thank you Thank you as always um and we'll join you on the next episode you've been listening to the beyond digital education podcast if you liked what you've heard please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised